Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. Somebody is texting my co-host, so surely breaking news happening here. I'm Mike Sazza. That's Chris Anderson. Chris, what's happening? Is it important? Uh, we have to hang up? Extremely not important. Very not important. I actually had the phone in my hand to silence it, holding it directly next to my microphone. And as soon as I picked it up, text coming right in. So. Hey. I want to congratulate you on a, a landmark for you and I. You might not be aware of this. Um, I was out of town Friday, Saturday, most of Sunday last week. Uh-huh. You were also out of town. Um, I had no cell service. I was in Hacker Valley in a uh, remote part of West Virginia in an old farmhouse camping with friends for the first time in forever trying to get back to normal. You were um, a little less rural, but not wired, right? Right. I don't know what you've not yet found out about me, but anytime that something like that happens in my life, major event happens, like major event happens, um, significant consequences to what we cover happens. And so sometimes it's just like, I don't want to use my phone because you're away and you're not working. And sometimes it's like, you know, it's, it's limited access because you're out. I don't know, in Europe or the West Indies or just someplace in the U S for example, I'm not some international man of leisure but just sometimes you don't have great service you're just doing stuff you don't want to check your phone because you don't have to but then you you turn your phone on at night or during lunch or whatever and you see oh my gosh this thing happened this person transferred this person got kicked off the team this you know major event happened and like naturally i want to do something and i can't this was even weirder because i just didn't have that access at lunch or at night because there's no cell service there. there was no phones no computers no nothing and i turned my phone on with trepidation Sunday afternoon and like my wife and I were like Thelma and Louise holding hands as we're driving along because we knew what was going to happen like there was going to be the ding 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 on my phone and it was going to be a whole bunch of frantic messages of people saying have you seen this Mike where are you Mike help oh my gosh what do we think but nothing happened nothing amazing Uh, yeah it was it was quite nice I was at I was at Virginia Beach uh, like you said not completely, uh, not Hacker Valley, but I, we do not have internet at the uh, place we stayed. Um, we do have a little, some decent cell service, but I had pre-written my stories. I had planned on zoning out too and enjoying some family time and enjoying some nice weather. And I was waiting for it. I mean, heck, Saturday, uh, what, you were going to the lake. I went to uh, search for sharp prehistoric shark teeth with my kids for like three hours. And, uh, we stepped away for a minute and Caden pray their commits. And I'm sitting at a ice cream stand out in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, trying to figure out how to get this story up as fast as possible, uh, from my cell phone. So I, I was prepared for it. I was prepared for God knows what, especially cause <laughs> the timing was, uh, set up for something because that yeah. that was the weekend everybody coming back to school everybody coming back to campus now of course on monday we got the news that you know one player tested positive and maybe we can talk about that in a minute but i thought boy that weekend or that week when guys are supposed to arrive back to campus that's usually when you hear so-and-so did not arrive back to campus mm-hmm. or or is leaving or something of that nature so i was I was like you, nervous that something was coming and, and very pleased to make it through the weekend. Yep. 
my thing is too that I, I'm tending to stock things away for the weekend and try to steal a Friday or Saturday um, during this period. So I did that this weekend, just like you did. I got all my stuff done, scheduled it, whatever. But like when I take a Friday off or a Saturday off here, I can still check and see if I screwed something up and misspelled something or put the wrong damn video in the huddle uh, slot for the embed. There's some glitch there I can't figure out either. Where I'm looking at the huddle for, you know, Quay Maze, and it's the huddle for a various sparrow, and I have no idea how that's happening. It's weird, but anyways, I was concerned about that because I'm prone to screw stuff like that up. It seems, and you weren't there to catch it, and I wasn't there to notice it. But everything went off without a hitch. And yeah, what you're mentioning, the logical news thing there was like, what's going to happen with players coming back to campus? Who's not coming back to campus? But near as I can tell, um, don't know. So let's jump right into that too. Two, two things here. We don't know who is on campus. We know that a majority of the players are on campus. If you follow social media, you can tell it's a lot of the the varsity squad, so to speak, the guys who were on the team last year and presumably would be this year. So scholarship players, walk-ons, people like that who are there. And recruits are pretty vocal about, hey, I'm going to Morgantown. Morgantown, here I come. Morgantown, here I am. So you figure there's probably close to 100 players on campus. One yeah. player so far has tested positive. And I see two different headlines. The one on paper and the one in my head. The one on paper is West Virginia player test positive. And I get that. That's the news. The one in my head is 75, 85, 95 players don't test positive. I think one is a lot better than the other. Yeah, I'm, I was, man, this, these are the th- situations where you think, boy, should you do that testing? And should you also do the antibody testing? And how accurate is that? Because hey one out of 100 positive or or 85 or whatever it is like you said that's great news now if it were one out of 85 positive antibody uh that that would not be great news you kind of actually would want rather have a higher number of that so maybe you get some immunity going but um i mean again everywhere you're looking everybody every i don't believe there's been a school yet that's come out and said hey everybody's clear all negatives And, and most of them are five six eight uh, a couple waves. We do have to watch out for that. Uh, was it Alabama, I think, that had a handful test positive, and then a few days later they announced that another had tested positive. So it, not obviously not out of the woods yet, but um, to only have one, I I feel like that's good news. I, I think that's good news, right? I mean, literally the next best outcome is zero. Right. I mean, you, you can't do much better. You can do better, and that's what everybody wants, but few people are attaining. So I get that, that there's an alarm. Um, but it's it's a din. It's not like a, a, a fire alarm to me, too. I guess I guess my concern is is the capacity of the contract contact tracing and getting this player and then saying, all right, where have you been since you were back on campus? Who were you there with at this point, at this point, at this point? And then how much of the team does that gobble up? Uh, I have not heard that number, but one player who got back five days before the first. So would that be Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. So you could conceivably interact with dozens of players are all of those players because they were in the same room with that person or they had lunch with that person or they're hanging out in an apartment with that person or whatever. Um, do you put them all into quarantine too, even if they tested negative, because again, it can be two days to two weeks until you exhibit symptoms or anything like that. Do they test all those players a second time? How does that work? How many people is that? But also what are the parameters from contact tracing that sets you into quarantine. You're negative, but something happened in your interactions with the player who tested positive. What is that something? Like, where's the bar for that? I don't know. I never asked that question. I probably should because 
that seems like it's significant to me. That could be the difference between two people and two dozen people who were affected by contact tracing. And I don't know the answer to that one yet. And speaking of kind of the quarantine angle of that, and maybe I, maybe I'm, I'm misremembering, if you will, uh, what it said in the guidelines, or the protocols for the return to play. But I'm assuming here that these players, after they've arrived on campus, are they, even if they test negative, are they more or less kind of staying in their bubble? I mean, I know they kind of do anyway, because that's just what athletes do. But they also tend to get out. They go out to eat. They see friends outside of sports. They see, you know, their teachers and, and, and classmates. Obviously, you're not going to see that because summer classes are virtual. But are they allowed to go out to say, uh, and, and this is not a sponsor, pepperonis and get a pizza? Are they allowed to go, you know, anywhere else, like and and have a have a drink with friends or see people? What what's your take on that? I'm pretty confident they've educated the players, but also liberated them. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you can go out and do stuff. If you got hours to yourself or weekends to yourself, hey, you're here. You volunteered to come back. I can't, I can't force you to stay in your apartment and go out and have a pizza. Go out on the lake, whatever. Maybe not go out on the lake. But just remember these things, you know, wear a mask, separate yourselves, don't touch your face, wash your hands. I'm pretty sure they're educated on that regularly. So um, and maybe we'll know before long because you're right. There's social kids who've been at a distance for a long, long time now and they're back. I mean, there's a natural I don't know, proclivity to celebrate that and to go out and to have fun and to get back to the, the swing of things. I do know that there are like you can't go in the locker room right now and there are certain parts you can't go into because of construction so there's not a lot of common space for them to access and congregate in inside the football building so that's perhaps a positive and you're outside more and maybe you're maybe you're back in your apartment more um so so that's interesting to me i think a good thing too is being overlooked the one player who tested positive we don't know if it's asymptomatic or if the person like full-blown has it and it's going to have these symptoms for however long it is a week or so but that person can still work out. Like if that person has a gym at home or has any of the equipment that the university previously set players up with, there's nothing that says that person can't work out on his own. That person can't participate in a virtual activity or something. So that's, that's still there. I think we think about, you know what, man, that person lost the full two weeks and that person plus whoever got gobbled up by the contact race and they lost these two weeks. You know, it's a wash. There's nothing happening because they can't go back until after this voluntary period's over. They can still do stuff. They just can't do it in the organized aspect where there's, you know, between six and nine people. Now, does that person feel like doing it? Will that person do it? Is he bent out of shape because, man, I feel fine. I don't have any of the symptoms. Kick rocks heck of this. I'm not going to work out. Maybe. You hope not. And that's kind of where, like, both these tangent I'm on here and the answer to your question, a lot of it goes back to this thing about how, you know, they got to teach their players right and you got to have that accountability and that responsibility and um, they've been preaching that for well over a year right now, and you kind of hope that it kicks in and it takes takes a, the hold of the wheel right here and make sure they stay right of center the whole time. But, you ready for some breaking news, Mike? I got some just came in. On a Wednesday morning, okay. Nah, okay. we don't have to keep up the charade. It's a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. Everybody's <laughs> going to figure this out. But it just came across that uh, NCAA men's basketball and women's basketball oversight committee have made recommendations to allow summer athletic activities to begin on July 20th and can last up to eight weeks until the school's first day of classes or September 15th, whichever is earlier. Um, I, I, I need a minute to comprehend it. Anything that stands out to you about that? I mean, July 20th, I, I feel like 
Because was it the date we had before? July first was the when men's basketball could return for voluntary activities. I believe it was July fifteenth. July fifteenth. Okay. And then if the university's making letting you come back on the fifteenth, you have to quarantine for five days. So that would line even if they came back a little bit before for activities or whatever, they could line up to be right on the fifteenth or soon thereafter. But now you can have them back on on maybe on or just slightly before the fifteenth. Let them do their five day quarantine test them and then they'd be ready to go on the 20th um that seems to me like a pretty ideal situation similar to what we talked about friday about how all things considered this plan that the oversight committee okayed kind of gave the football teams maybe the best case scenario considering what they were dealing with a pretty good runway and a pretty good preamble to get people ramped up for that that preseason part of it basketball i would think the same too there's a lot you can do in eight weeks um a lot of it's going to be just getting the rust off I, i would think that rust and timing and things are more fragile in basketball than football. Maybe you disagree with me there. Um, but I think that that longer time is good for them. And then, you know, that kind of brings you to a period where I think that you can actually do individual stuff once school starts. And maybe that's not necessarily the case under normal conditions. You, there's a gap between maybe the end of a semester and the start of uh, when you can resume activities too. So maybe they bridge things properly here. Um, but just on the surface, not having read this, it sounds like a pretty good plan, similar to football. I would imagine the structure was probably, I don't know what, a voluntary period, a mandatory period, an organized period. And then that's a lot of time for them to get ready. I think it's a good situation. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, it's it's hard to imagine that we're at this point, considering what we were discussing just a few months ago, just a couple of months ago, um, because again, eight weeks is, is a lot of time to kind of get your body into shape, get that rhythm back. Uh, get your workouts in, uh, work with the team, go over stuff with the coaches. And basketball doesn't obviously doesn't start in September, like as far as games and stuff go. So they have those eight weeks to kind of get ready to get that practice in and then transition into school and more practice. So, I mean, I don't see men's and women's basketball this is for both men and women um, I don't see them really being affected by this calendar negatively at all. Uh, it, it's really not that far off from, say, a normal year, I don't feel like. I would say basketball players, they do have that rust in the time they got to get back. But I think that they could have probably done more of the game skill than football players. Like if they got a hoop somewhere in their front yard, around the corner, at a gym they're allowed to go back to some number of weeks ago. They're, they're probably closer to where they need to get to than football. That's probably fair to say, right? Yeah. That's good. So from July 1st to the 19th, voluntary virtual non-physical activities are allowed. What a, is, is that Bob Huggins watching on a CCTV to make sure these guys are doing stuff? Or not watching, I guess, since it is, quote, voluntary? I don't know. The <laughs> explanation for football was weird to me, and even the the justification for the involvement of them is, is for strength coaches is different now. That's a long time, though. That's almost three weeks, and you're talking about a lot of suicides and a lot of sprint, a lot of sprinting, suicide drills, a lot of uh, conditioning and running stuff. I'm sure players are going to love that. I would imagine they'll come back a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more slowly, um, less enthusiastically to do that. Yeah. Because you can't use a ball during that time, right? Um, right. So what are you doing? Are you doing weightlifting, swimming, running? That's not going to be fun. That's a long time. But, um, again, that's that's 
how they do that virtual involvement, I don't know, because apparently they can blow the whistle to start and stop and they can observe for supervision. But otherwise, if you're if you're doing like a Zoom thing or whatever, sure, they can they can walk you through it. But in person, totally different can of worms there. That's yeah. strange. It is. I, I got us off track there, but I it just scrolled right across my screen. And and my first thought again was this is pretty darn good. It's not that big of a hit for basketball. So there you go. one more on the, the testing thing, too. I was uh, invited onto our friend Colin Dunlap's radio show on Tuesday morning. He and Chris Mack are the hosts for WFAN in Pittsburgh. And we talked about the positive test and what do we think and what are the procedures in place for West Virginia. And Chris asked a question that I don't have a great answer to, but no one has a great answer to yet. And I think this is an example of how this phase of getting back to sports answers some questions, but also asks so many others, too. We agree that there are going to be positive tests and there are going to be some big numbers and they're going to be larger at some places than others. And there's a competitive aspect in there, too, because, again, you're wiping kids out for periods of time, 14 days, two weeks at a time for workouts or mandatory participation. We get into the season and the weather changes and it becomes more hospitable, I guess, to viruses and to communicable issues like that. But what happens or what has to happen when a team hits a certain number? and they can't play that week. Or if 15 people can't practice for two weeks, that's your entire, I don't know, offensive line and secondary. Who knows? What I'm, what I'm saying is, how are they going to figure out the competitive aspect here, too? Because And then who says you can't play this week? Uh, you have to set out for two weeks. A team, not a player. Like there's an, Or they just say, listen, these are the cards you guys wanted to play with, and you happen to hold the bad hand. You're going to have to go without. 12 players for these two weeks um, and then you just run out there and get bludgeoned because you have third string, four string guys because you have 12 pretty good players who aren't playing. Um, I'm babbling here again, but I just wonder what's the mark or how do they assess or who assesses whether or not a team can play or should play that week? Well, you know how in the NFL they got for the concussions, it's supposed to be an independent third party, I guess, doctor, that makes those decisions on if a guy should come out or if mm-hmm. they can go back in. Don't you feel like it has to be that way for college football too? I mean, not, I don't want to immediately be a cynic here that is going to insinuate that colleges are going to do something nefarious to make sure that their best players stay on the field. But I feel like the conferences or the NCAA or some somebody not attached to the football team or maybe the school even – might have to step in and make these kind of decisions and help make these kind of decisions for them. Um, I hate, I, I, I'm not one for oversight, but for the safety of everything and, and to make sure that that they're not going out there when they shouldn't be, you might need a, an extra set of eyes on this to kind of help make those decisions. I'm with you 100%. I will accuse programs of doing something nefarious <laughs> i will I've, I've seen it too much i've been around it too much to know that and i think that they would juke the numbers i really do that's why i think a number doesn't work i don't think if 15 players test positive you sit out the team sits for a week because they'll never test enough they'll only test 14 people that week um you just can't i just don't think you can trust schools to act on their own because let's face it there are coaches there are teams there are parts of the country that don't think this is that big of a deal maybe it's not and there are coaches in their parts of the country that think it's a bigger deal than maybe everybody else does. I'm not saying everybody's right or wrong. I'm just saying that there's no uniformity in how people are going to test and treat this or how they approach it. Do we need to test it? Uh, we don't have to. It's not that big of a deal. 
who's who's symptomatic, who's exhibiting symptoms, who gets tested. There's a, so much wiggle room there. I don't think you can leave it to the schools to police themselves. I'm not sure conferences to be able to police themselves. And I don't think the NCAA can tell the football schools what to do. So I'm with you. I would not be surprised if there's some sort of a body, an independent third-party arbiter that looks and is capable of looking at things subjectively because you can't treat Wyoming the same way that you would treat West Virginia because of what's happening at Houston right now. Houston's different. The population is different. The culture and the civilization and the society and all those contributing factors are different than other parts of the country. So it's not fair to treat everybody in a, in a more strict way because of a situation at Houston. And it's not fair to treat one school one way because another school happens to be in a different part of the country with a more susceptible or less susceptible population to this, too. So I think you're going to have to find a way maybe to have it be more objective. I mean, where No, subjective, where you look at different cases and say this right here because of it's a hot zone, the population, the temperature, so on and so forth. Listen, they don't have a ton of cases, but there's a lot of alarming signs, and they're going to have to sit this week out. They're going to have to sit these two weeks out. Something like that would make sense because, again, it's different. It's going to take some qualified people to do it. And as you said, it's, it's the best way to do this. Take it out of the hands of the people who have a stake in it and put it in the hands of the people who have no dog in the fight, and they're most qualified to make those decisions. I don't see anything wrong with that. I got two related questions for you here. Uh, one is very relevant because it's already happened. The second uh, might be wishful thinking or looking to the future. So let's start with the first one, the relevant one. Um, report came out earlier this week, I believe, or over the weekend, that Ohio State was making players sign um, a waiver, basically saying that they will not hold the university responsible if they essentially pick up the coronavirus or, or become infected because they return to play football. That's going to be everywhere, right? Every school. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I mean, I, I've heard different I'm theories not, I'm on that. I'm a lawyer, but I think so. I've heard different theories on that. Like, there's different states that have different, like, right-to-work statutes and things like that, and it may be applicable like that. But also, are they employees? Do they have to sign? Can you really attach that to their scholarship? It's not like an injury waiver that comes with your NLI and stuff like that. Um, and if that's the case, like, am I going to get top medical care because I got rid of this waiver? There, there's so much stuff in there. And, again, it just, it just takes one team to say, I'm not doing that. And then what does that team, what does that school do? Okay, we're not having a team this year. No, they flip. So I hope I hope that there's a better conversation about that. I've seen some things about Ohio State saying that it's not what you think it is and blame the media, whatever. But it's alarming because I can certainly see a university protecting its assets like that. 
Um, and I can see a lot of football players just blindly signing it away, not knowing. But I can also see like a need for something like that too, where there has to be some sort of a, um, you can't make this voluntary anymore. You have to say the kids are like, no, listen, I want to do this. I'm willing to take that risk. But that's also a hard thing to ask kids. That's, it's alarming. I don't have a good answer for that. And I think it's an interesting thing that was bound to happen. Just what happened to happen in Ohio State. That's pretty cool. All right. Second question. Uh, pretty kind of related to that. Say, it, I, again, I don't think it's going to happen this year just because of the timeline. So maybe next year. But say they come up with a vaccine. That is a requirement for every player moving forward, do you think? No way. No. I just don't think you can. I don't think you would do that. Um, for some reason, vaccines are divisive. <laughs> and I think you'd have a hard time with not just parents, but groups saying you're not going to make a football team take a, take a vaccine. Now, if it's voluntary, okay. But how do you treat someone who takes it and who, who doesn't take it? Also, I don't I don't necessarily have an issue with someone who doesn't want to take the first dose of vaccine. <laughs> right, are, we, yeah, are we sure? Like, you know what I mean? So, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, that would be my larger concern. Like maybe when it's proven to be whatever an effective rate is, you know, 80 percent, 85 percent. OK, go for it. But like people don't take flu shots now. And there's a lot of questions as to whether or not flu shots are effective because of all the different strands. Um, and then I, I would need a greater history before I'd ever make it mandatory. And I can certainly understand somebody saying, hey, this cool vaccine for this virus that popped up a year and a half ago hit me. I'm pretty yeah. sure I can beat it. So that would, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that against somebody. So, and maybe not just specifically to football, but college students as a whole, because now it's been, unfortunately, uh, what, 18 years since I enrolled in college. But I, I vaguely remember having to get a vaccine or having to, one, provide, you know, vaccine records to attend just to get into college, like just to be allowed to enroll into college and also... There was something else, some other vaccine that I had to get before I could go. Something, um, I can't remember what it was. Meningococcal, is that what it is? Yeah. Meningococcal vaccine. Sure. (laughs) I'm I'm looking it up as I'm talking. So I, I, because I was trying to remember if I'm crazy, if I'm misremembering something. But yeah, I'm looking and and I, I Googled it. First thing that pops up is several different states, Texas, New York, um, Virginia, that there's a list of vaccines required for college, uh, not just for athletes, for, for all college students. So, I mean, I'm with you. The first the first dose there. Let's uh, make sure it's a little better before you start forcing everybody to make it or take it. But I'm wondering if that kind of becomes a necessity, not just for athletes, but for, for college students in general. I think they're going to try to make a lot of college students and a lot of campuses take the test. And I'm not sure some people are going to be willing to do that. Like I, I can guarantee that I do not want that swab stuck <laughs> in my nasal cavity. Cause that looks, that looks annoying. And some people aren't going to want that, but like, can you make that mandatory? I don't know. You know, who stands to benefit from all this mm-hmm. hadn't been reported yet. There's a school in the Northeast that has um, developed a swab um, for saliva that's apparently effective in diagnosing COVID coronavirus. And I'm thinking this would be a great recruiting tool because I'm assuming some players, like I've seen the videos, man, they freak out and they don't want that, that swab up their nose. Hey, come to my school. We have the saliva swab. And that's a pretty good endorsement for Rutgers. Uh-huh. They developed the saliva swab and that's how they're testing people coming back. Yeah, I thought you were going to promote UConn there. I thought that's what that was. That's where you're going. 
I think you know me a little bit better than that. <laughs> you know who else knows me? Um, the individuals who tipped me off about some shenanigans for the basketball tournament. Because mm-hmm. um, apparently I'm the rage in chief, I guess. Like, I get outraged and, and, and find out the faults and, and want to be mad about it, I guess, if I developed that calling card over the years. More power to me. But we talked about this, you and I, candidly, on Monday night that we had heard some bad vibes about Best Virginia's plot in the 2020 TBT. Curious case of seeding. Obvious but unusual opponent in the first round, even in the second round. Uh, second round draw is not great. Third round, third round opponent would be extremely tough. Uh, and sure enough, it all came true, which... Boy, everywhere the West Virginia basketball goes, even if you've graduated the program, you're going to get hosed when it comes to seating, huh? Yeah, I really, really don't understand this at all. I mean, we you alluded to the power rankings where West Virginia was fifth just a week ago, and then they come in as the 10th seed. Um, and those power rankings were from TBT. They weren't like a third yeah. party, you know, putting those rankings out there. Those are from TBT, and... And I was at the tournament last year, and they raved about this best Virginia team. Of course, they talked about the fans and the fan base and how they kind of uh, really impressed them coming over to Richmond to see the games and filling that arena. But they also talked about the team and how good it was and how they felt a lot like a, a lot of viewers and certainly fans. It wasn't just you know people being homers that if Juwan Staten hadn't gotten hurt, West Virginia might have or probably would have beaten overseas elite if they had been in another bracket. They might have advanced past, uh, you know, the regionals. Uh, And then, so it's, my point is, I've heard them say it. So I don't feel like they think poorly of West Virginia or best Virginia, excuse me. They really respect that team and the talent on it. So to see them get ranked at 10th, and the matchups they got, the road they have to go through is is stunning to me. If you're not familiar, the basketball tournament is kind of a grassroots basketball tournament. Started, I believe this is the eighth year they've had this now. And mm-hmm. it's a winner-take-all single elimination tournament. The prize has been over $2 million before. It's going to be about a $1 million this year. Typically about 64 teams in a bracket. This year, very different. The fact they're having it is kind of a surprise, but also a good thing because they've taken all sorts of precautions. It's a fanless event. It's in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, that place has been pretty promising for a while, too, when it comes to results and, and trends. So good place, good location. It's kind of central for a lot of teams and players to get there. Great. Um, so it's five on five basketball for former college players, former pro players. Best Virginia competed last year, won a game, lost to overseas elite. That was the four-time defending champion that lost in the semifinals last year. So pretty good track record, like you said, and they had a ton of fans in Richmond. So highly regarded as Best Virginia that it was named one of the nine regional hosts for the 64-team field initially. They were going to play games in the Charleston Civic Center this month. So right away, between perception and reporting, you figure this is a pretty good team, certainly top 10. If it's one of the nine regional teams, that's not a ranking necessarily, but certainly held in high regard. The TBT has its power rankings, top five a couple times. Not only that, but two of the teams in the rest of the top 10 aren't participating this year. And West Virginia's team dropped five spots to number 10. 
So eight teams get a bye. 16 teams will play in a Sweet 16-ish, and then the top eight winners go to the second round against the eight teams that had a bye. This is what happens. The teams that were on the edge of being included or not, how do you take just 24 teams from what had been a 64-team setup? And I think there's over 120 teams that applied. How do you get down to 24? You don't have 20 and you're just adding four. You have probably like 32, 36 teams that you really like. So you're picking for matchups, frankly, when you get to teams 22, 23, 24. And team 23 is the Marshall team. So West Virginia ends up as the 10. So they're going to get the second worst at-large team here. And that would be Marshall because that's apparently what people in Columbus, Ohio want to see. Um I don't know the field and the other options nearly as well enough, but it seems pretty obvious to me that you can get some people to watch. It's not to, it's not to sell tickets because you can't have fans there, but for some reason, West Virginia Marshall was appealing enough to kind of fudge the numbers a little bit and get those two in there again, without ticket sales, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, But that's the only logic I can understand how that could move. You can move a team down. That's got a lot of pub, a lot of momentum, good support for, like I said, a grassroots event. It's not like they're gifting him a win. Marshall's team is going to be okay. They actually have Zach Smith in Texas Tech, including some Marshall players as well. Um, I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about this, but sometimes use your eyes. It just seems like that's an obvious way to do this. I haven't gone through yet to check out all of the other matchups in that first round, but I am curious if they if there were some uh, other, I don't want to say sketchy, but purposeful moves to try to get more appealing TV matchups um, for what's going on here, because I, I agree with you. It's was a little strange that West Virginia slid down like that, even stranger that they then match up against Marshall, but you know, this is, this is their time to shine. There's nothing else on TV right now. So they're going to try to make the most of, of this TV time, they're going to be live on ESPN. So I have to wonder if that kind of factored into their decisions for some of these matchups. And and that's West Virginia Marshall's definitely one of them. There's only a handful of other quote unquote alumni teams in the event here. And then one, two, three, four other ones beside West Virginia Marshall play in the first round and none of them play each other. So like yeah. uh, an Illinois alumni team is playing a team that's just called war Tampa. It's a collection of teams. Um, an Oklahoma State alumni team is playing a team out of Philadelphia. A Purdue alumni team is playing a team that just has a collection of players. So um, it's not like there was a whole lot of them to draw from. I don't know if they just ended up on this or not, but it's it's strange to me. Um, beyond that, though, um, they move on if they win to play the money team, which used to be um, – I'm trying to remember who they were. It was the TJ Fredette's team, I believe, and now it's affiliated with Floyd Mayweather. That team has five NBA players on it. And Devin Williams, who was on Best Virginia last year and has an affiliation, obviously, with WVU. But that's the team that Best Virginia or Marshall would play in the second round. And presuming that things go according to chalk, your quarterfinal team would be overseas elite again. Four-time champ, had a 29-game winning streak, ended last year, brings back a lot of people, a bunch of St. John's players in that team. And by the way, adds seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson. Enjoy, Best Virginia. <laughs> that is that's a tough I mean it's not going to I don't think there's a team that's going to have a harder road to the final than best Virginia with that um, you know a, assuming that 
we don't run into the situation of a team, an entire team being eliminated because one person tested positive for COVID. So let's, let's remember that is part of this as well. And that's why they have a couple standby teams. And I have no idea what they're going to do if more than two teams get eliminated since they only have two, two standby teams. So, but by the way, did you tell me that if one person tests positive, the whole team is out? That was what the email said. The very first email I received about let me see if i can pull it up see if i can find it uh because it is older but the very first email they sent out about their new guidelines where they announced that instead of being at multiple locations there we go um yeah a positive no number one all participants will be tested for covid19 upon arriving at the location this is before they announced that it would be the location was columbus uh, a positive test result will lead to the removal of both the individual and their entire team from the event crazy so there you go let's close on uh a removal of another person mentioned last week on the podcast mike gundy i don't want to spend a lot of time on this i can't pretend to understand what he thinks because i don't have kids i don't know how they think and i can't explain why he does either but funny that we just mentioned him and and kind of rolled our eyes about the way he is and the way he acts and then he pops up here Let's not get into the politics of it. There's a place for that, and that's fine. But one thing we have talked a bunch about is players have the cons right now, and they're sort of more empowered than ever to do stuff, and they're more willing to use that empowerment. And we've seen a lot of examples of this now. It's 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 Iowa, Florida State, it's Texas, which is extremely bold, and it's going to be controversial, I'm sure. And I would say the most singularly notable player so far is a running back at Oklahoma State named Chuba Hubbard, who just takes issue with an OAN shirt that Mike Gundy's wearing. Again, let's take the politics out of it. It's a tone-deaf thing by him, I think. He should know better. He doesn't. He doesn't care either. But it certainly raised some issues, and it gets resolved a little bit, I think, in that coach and player, and also the players who spoke up for Chuba Hubbard and implicitly against Mike Gundy, they all seem to be together in this to make changes. Who knows what changes? We don't know yet. That's fine. The only thing I really care about here is that a player did this and that these are the conversations that you're going to have to have if you care about these things. And if you keep telling people to sit down and pipe down, you're never going to change stuff. and You're just going to have these flare-ups over and over again. But uh, a wild six to eight hours in Stillwater, and I would assume that it's going to be a bumpy ride perhaps throughout this entire season. Yeah, definitely. I there were a handful of things that kind of stood out to me about this entire situation. And quite literally, none of them had to do with anyone's politics on the issues at hand or, or, or what was going on. Uh, the first thing that stood out to me was I, I did have a little issue with, with Hubbard kind of going straight to social media, but maybe then, then I started thinking about what we quote unquote know about Mike Gundy over the years and maybe he didn't go straight to social media. Maybe this was the only way you can kind of get to Mike Gundy because he's not known as somebody that really will have those one-to-one conversations or, or change just based off those those ta- those talks or listen to somebody about that kind of stuff. Um, but then to see the other players, like the former players, big-name players, not just like a third-string offensive lineman saying something happened 10 years ago. We're talking some of the best players that kind of stroll through there recently. Um, really, like you said, really just kind of taking Hubbard's side and, and not so um, 
uh, subtly taking jabs at at Mike Gundy there. And that screams to me a bigger issue uh, with the program as a whole and the culture or maybe not the culture, like the relationship between the coaches and the players right now. AJ Green said, call a spade a spade. What does that mean? Is he talking about the university and the culture or is he talking about the head coach there? Not a lot of context on Twitter, but that was significant to me. That made me sit up and go, oh. Um, and the athletic director saying, you know, the, the messages from the players have been disturbing. But he also said that it's of grave concern. That's a statement. That's not like he got caught at an airport with a microphone in his face. That's a statement he put out. Grave concern. Um, I don't know. I think that it's time to turn the light on a lot of these places and figure out, you know, what needs to be cleaned up because people are going to want to have these conversations now. They just are. And like, there are certain things you have to grant players to. And again, you can't, you just can't say that we need football and we need football players to help us get out of the virus and get the economy back on track, but also say we don't need players to tell us what to think about society and race relations and police, uh, I don't know, management reform, things like that. It's not, it's not even so good for players for doing this. And, uh, I don't want to get too much into the the apology by Hubbard or whatever. I do find it funny that Mike Gundy famously hates Twitter. Um, the house is on fire, and he goes on Twitter to reach the audience and let him know that they put the fire out. Also, never apologizes, just says that thing with the T-shirt. He never mentions Hubbard by name. He just kind of points to him. Um, they look at they're both in some like hostage video from a <laughs> late, late 80s early 90s movie and they're reading from a script now the one wanted to be there body language people i know were like man one guy is kind of aggressively facing the camera he's not square he's not comfortable the other guy has his arms crossed and looks like he does not want to be there i don't know what went into that but they had to do something this is not over it's definitely starting hubbard has used the social media um after to, to say that no my foot's in the gas we're still going forward and i wonder now like what does oklahoma state have to do and what do they have to show? They're going to have to show their work here. They are. They can't just say we're working on it. And then what's next? Because this isn't the first or second or third thing we talked about, you know, in the past week, even, you know, who's the next program? What's the next issue that has to happen? Because they, um, they realize they have a voice right now, too. And again, um, it's a social media thing. I get that. That could be a poison pill for a lot of people. But that's where these kids are at right now. And that's where they, they air out what they think and their views and where they take a lot of flack from people for telling people what they think and what their views are. It's uneven, but that's their battlefield right now. And to shut out people because it's Twitter or it's social media and just say, oh, I don't pay attention to that. It's disingenuous. It's insensitive. And that's exactly the accusation that people are making from a lot of these people is that you don't understand what I'm thinking. You don't know how I feel because a lot of people don't want to understand and don't want to learn what it feels like right now. That's the trouble part right now that a lot of places have to iron out. And I don't know how they do that unless you have the conversations and you can't have them unless somebody raises their hand or presses send in a tweet. So they're going to have to make people uncomfortable, but that's kind of the way it is right now. Can't say I disagree with you. Like I said, I, I was, I, my first thought when he went straight to social media was like, oh, I just, me personally, I don't like to put my stuff out on social media, but then I thought, is Mike Gundy the type of guy that you can just talk to about this stuff? Is he list? Have you already tried? And then this is, you know, if this doesn't work, this doesn't work, go to social media. And obviously, uh, you know, there's been some kind of results. Uh, it's initiated some kind of conversation between the two parties, which I think is good. Conversation is good. Uh, having these talks is good. Um, it, it just to, to try to work out the differences, to try to hear from the other side, 
or even God, just to be like a, a negative about it, just to learn that, Hey, that guy is who I thought he was and I don't like him. So I'm going to move on uh, in that kind of sense to have those conversations and figure it out. And I think that's what he accomplished by putting it out there on social media. And it obviously happened pretty darn quick. And I'll say this too, good for Mike Gundy. He did not have to acknowledge it. He didn't have to appear on camera with this player and talk about it. He didn't have to do anything he did yesterday. And I think by and large, a lot of people figured he wouldn't or he'd have some lesser tact. Um, I'm not saying he's mature, he's changed, whatever, but that was an appropriate-ish response to the situation. Um, the story's by far not done, but but you look around the country and there are a lot of people who handle it better and differently. And to be frank, we don't have to look very far here. Um, seems like there's <laughs> the clowns aren't running the circus around here. Well, you think we're ready to wrap it up with that, Mike? I think so. I feel like we didn't napalm anybody. We didn't go too hard, so that's good. All right, well, that's all for this time. Till next time, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.